Okay, everybody, I'm sorry to be the person that interrupts the party. <laughs> that seems to be my role. If you wouldn't mind grabbing a seat, I'm sorry to interrupt a hubbub of uh, what sounds like great conversation, old friends being reunited, memories being shared. You haven't aged too much, I'm sure. Um, yeah, if you don't know me, my name's Philip. It's good to see you. I, I lead the team here. Um, and if you are, like Jason said, if you're brand new, you're wondering what you've walked into, thank you for coming to our family celebration. And if you are an old member of the family, thank you for coming back. We really do appreciate those of you who have come back just to celebrate uh, with us. And I hope you are feeling uh, like a, it's a time to celebrate. Um, I'm conscious I don't know all of you. So like I say, my name's uh, Philip. I'm, I'm married to Caroline. I've been leading the team now uh, for three or four years. We have a little girl called uh, Isabella who's 18 months. And, and she's showing um, a remarkable interest in the Bible, actually, which is very encouraging for one so young to be uh, opening the word of God. We're just slightly concerned, though, as to the fact that she seems to feel the need to wear health and safety protective equipment whilst doing so. <laughs> um, so rest assured, at King's Church, you don't need to wear protective equipment when looking at the Bible. Uh, there aren't goggles and protective hats going around. We're just going to dig into it uh, ourselves. And the passage we're going to be in is Romans chapter 4, which is the passage that I felt God giving me too. I wasn't wearing goggles and a hat at the time, and he still spoke to me, and he gave me this passage, which is Romans 4, verse 16, which I'm excited to, to, um, to speak from. If you are, well, whether you're new to the Bible or not, it's helpful to remind ourselves of the context of Romans 4. What Paul's doing, the author, of course, of Romans, is he wants to remind his readers in Rome, specifically his Jewish readers, he wants to remind them of the kind of fundamentals of the Christian faith, the fundamentals of the gospel. He wants them to know, especially his Jewish readers, that way before God gave the law to Moses, way before that, God had always been about revealing himself primarily through grace. And ultimately, it's always been about our response of faith simply to his grace, even before the law was given. And he goes as far back as Abraham to demonstrate that. So here we go, Romans 4 and verse 16. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and key phrase for this morning, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus, raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. 
The God who calls things into existence that do not exist. That's the kind of phrase, the big idea this morning and the central phrase that I want us to dig into in this passage. That's the God that we gather to this morning, right? Yes, God does things sometimes in mysterious ways over long periods of time, but God's not a God of marginal gains and fractional alterations and minor adjustments. God's a God of transformation. He's the God that calls into existence things that don't exist. That's what we gather to this morning. That's what the church is founded upon. That's what we look to in the future. And what I want to do in these next few Few minutes is to kind of take a bit of a sprint through time, if I may, slightly ambitiously, and remind us of this God, the God who calls into existence things that don't exist, so we can stand more secure this morning, whatever church we're in, and we can go ahead with faith in that, in that sense. So, like I say, a bit of a, a, a sprint through time, because you can go back as far back as creation, and scientists from the 1960s onwards now agree that there was indeed a beginning, that Genesis 1 verse 1, at least the first three words, is right, in the beginning. At the one time there was nothing, then into existence came the universe. And for us, we're standing under the rest of Genesis 1 1, that God was the one that called into existence that which didn't exist. God was the one that spoke a universe into being when before that there was nothing. And then we sprint forwards a long time. Let's not debate how long, but we sprint forward a long time to 2000 BC or there or thereabouts and the passage or the, the moment that um, uh, Paul is referring to. We meet this Iraqi older gentleman, Abraham, probably minding his own business, probably I would imagine worshipping the sun and the moon like the pagan culture of his time and suddenly he's like accosted by God and God calls into existence something that didn't exist or couldn't exist given uh, the way that his and his wife's uh, life had turned out. Isaac's called into existence. And from Isaac, Jacob was called into existence. And from Jacob, 12 sons. And from 12 sons, over the course of 430 years, some 2 million, we think, Israelites, descendants of Abraham, are called into existence. And sure enough, God's promise comes true, that this promise to bless Abraham with a family, with a nation, comes true. It's called into existence. But there's no freedom in existence at that time, about 1500 BC. And so through Moses, God called into existence freedom where only slavery existed. And he leads them out of Egypt into freedom. And over the next few years, he does things like he calls a law for the people to live safely under into existence. He calls a, a, a tabernacle, later a worship for them to worship in. And later a temple for them to worship in. He gives them a land for them to inherit. He gives them prophets for them to learn from and kings who should serve and rescue and protect them. All the while, as he's doing that, constantly those things pointing towards the ultimate person that's going to be called into existence. All those things, temple and prophet and law and exodus, they all point towards a person being called into existence. Someone that the exodus and the law and the temple and the promised land and the prophets and the kings were all ultimately signposts to. 2,000 years ago, history pivots on the calling into existence of Jesus Christ. The divine Jesus had always existed, but his humanity is called into existence. And in Jesus, we have someone who would provide true freedom from spiritual slavery. Someone who would perfectly fulfill the law. Someone who'd become the new temple where true worship could take place. Someone who'd lead us into an eternal inheritance. Someone who would be the perfect servant king who would actually serve us and rescue us and protect us. Someone who, when he experienced death, life was called into existence. 
He is, as Paul says in verse 19, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's what God's always been about doing, calling into existence that which did not exist, ultimately in Jesus. But then the story carries on, because in like 30-ish AD, you've only got 120 believers gathered in a room, a bit nervous, praying and waiting. And what happens? The Holy Spirit is poured out, and within a day, God calls into existence a church of 3,120 believers. That's what he's about. And that church begins to respond to everything else that God wants to do, and God begins to call into existence other churches, families, communities of believers like these ones that didn't exist. The gospel goes in the first century to to Greece and to to Cyprus and to Turkey and to, to Syria and to Albania and to Italy. Suddenly, where there wasn't a church, churches are being called into existence, families of believers emerging in the first century. And by the end of the third century, by 300 AD, historians estimate you've got some six million Christians scattered across the Roman Empire. That's one in 10 people in the Roman Empire has in some way come to faith. People that weren't Christians called into existence. And that's before Constantine kind of co-opted Christianity to make it the political religion of the Roman Empire. And it's after a number of years of often systematic and at least sporadic and violent persecution. And yet suddenly one in 10 people, roughly, across the Roman Empire has been called into salvation where salvation didn't exist. That's what God does. And you accelerate through the next 1,700 years and the gospel goes right to the ends of the earth and you get to the modern day into the 1990s and there's some uh, roughly 2 billion professing believers around the world. All shapes and sizes and flavors and denominations but centered around the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We have a God who calls into existence things that do not exist. And then we get to 1994, as you've already been been hearing on the video and as part of this morning. I just love that video. I'm so grateful to um, Jamie, who's on staff here, for putting that all together, and particularly grateful for all of you that contributed to it. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that and to take us back down memory lane. It was just inspiring, wasn't it? Just to kind of be brought back to those early days when people were praying and dreaming and, and going. Abrahams and Sarahs, you guys were. You heard the voice of God and you went. Not knowing everything, I imagine, but trusting that God's promises were good. That in order to, you've been blessed, and so it's your calling to be a blessing to the peoples. And so I just think, I don't want to embarrass you guys, but in a moment, I think it'd be really appropriate for the rest of us just to thank and honor you, uh, because we are here this morning because of you. Because like Abraham and Sarah, you heard a call, I guess you didn't do everything, but you went, and we're so grateful for it, and you built what we have 25 years later. So I don't want to embarrass you, but I want to honor you. If you were part of the original 28 that planted King's Church, or those first few months of 1994, Joseph's, would you mind just standing so that we can just applaud and thank you very much? Yes, absolutely. How, how, how. What were you then, Jonathan? One, six months? Oh, two, um, uh, an aged two at that point. Thank you so much. Those of, us who, those of you who are new to King Church, a bunch of you are new in the last year or two, you, you stand upon the shoulders of all that those men and women did for us. 
And God has called into existence all kinds of wonderful things over the 25 years since. I want to just give you a few examples. And please, I know some of us don't know each other. Please be gracious with me if I don't mention things that are particularly precious to you or memorable to you. I'm just going to give you just a few little highlights of God calling into existence things that brought life to people and glory to his name. I discovered um, just this week that in 1994, in those first few months, the church set up an agape love fund, which was designed to start a bakery in the slums of the Philippines. Amazing. Just called into existence a blessing to those in poverty. In the same year, I think, or maybe the year after, the church started a partnership with the prison. Those of you who are new to Kingston won't know that there was a prison, like an open prison in Latchmere that closed in 2011 that was for long-term prisoners, I believe, but those that were coming towards the end of their sentence. And the church started, God called into existence a ministry to those prisoners. So there were King's churches, I'm told, who visited those prisoners, who held carol services there. I think some of the prisoners came on a Sunday. One even came to a life group. I don't know how that worked, but it did, I'm told. What a wonderful thing that God called into existence for that, that season. 2008, Pete and Michelle Foster, who were, who were leaders here at the time, they were sent to Dublin to plant a new church, God calling into existence something brand new. And you might not know this, but from there they went to the Czech Republic, where they are now, uh, in a place called Partubici. Uh, is that how you pronounce it? Forgive me, Pardubici, in Czech Republic, where they planted a new church and started a new school. And they're partnering with Relational Mission, who are in New Frontiers. And of course, God has called into God has called salvation into existence over the last 25 years. Like that's, that's ultimately why we, why we plant churches, right? We plant churches to reach people with the gospel, to help people who don't know the love of God experience and respond to the love of God and step into the family of God themselves. Salvation is right at the heart of why we do church. I remember when I joined the church in 2009, uh, and there was a young woman called Esther Crook who was a student at the time and she was exploring faith through the Alpha Course, came to faith through the Alpha Course. It was wonderful to see her life start to change, relationships start to be healed. And you know what she did a few years later? She went to Frankfurt to join a church plant there. Someone who received the blessing of God, becoming, a blessing, becoming the means by which God blesses people to the ends of the earth. Just at those, those same time when I joined, my, uh, my then housemate wasn't a Christian. And over the coming few months and years, as he also explored faith through Alpha and on a Sunday, again, God called salvation into existence. It very much wasn't in existence when we first lived together. God called into existence, a transformed life. If you're not sure who I'm talking about, he's leading this morning service and doing a wonderful job. And Abraham, someone that's received the blessing of God, being accosted from nowhere through sheer grace and becoming a blessing to many, many people. And I could, <laughs> I could mention many, many, many more things. Many more things. I could mention holiday clubs, uh, countless life groups, people given cars and places to stay and money to pay rent or to go on holiday. I could mention uh, night shelters. I can't even read my notes. This always happens. Uh, Bible weeks away, weekends away, people who've been healed physically, people who've been set free spiritually prophetic words that have been given that have set the course of people's lives or reset the course of people's lives. I could mention precious nights of worship and prayer. I could mention wonderful elders appointed who shepherded the flock and shepherded me. I could mention life-changing sermons preached and responded to, marriages formed, 
Romances blossomed, children that have been birthed, money that's been given spectacularly and generously and regularly. I could mention carol services of late with 650 people in this auditorium, most of whom don't yet know Jesus. I could mention the Suffields that started a ministry to the poor in Sierra Leone that are seeing amazing things. Our partnership with the Kingston Community School. We could mention the new ministry to the elderly. So we could mention many, many things, all of them. God calling into existence things that don't exist. That's the kind of God that he is, to bring life to the dead, to bring life to people, and to bring glory to his name. Those are the good things. The Christian life is full of ups and downs. It's absolutely right that we should celebrate and appropriate, but I love what, how Paul, in his typically blunt fashion in verse 19, back into the text, I love how he describes... I haven't put it in there, forgive me, but I love how he describes in verse 19 of Romans 4. He says, Abraham didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, (laughs) since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. And what I love about that is the authenticity of the Christian faith, that for Abraham and later for Paul, being a a part of the family of God, it's not about blind faith. Christian faith is not blind faith, it's not putting our fingers in our ears, la 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 faith, it's also about confronting tough circumstances and calling them out for what they are. And Abraham did that, he looked at the situation fairly in the, squarely in the face and said, this is unpromising, to put it mildly. And it's not inappropriate that we should also do that, because as we've celebrated and given thanks, and rightly so, we need to recognize or remind ourselves that part of the Christian life is their ups and downs, to put it mildly. It's a battle that we're called to, a spiritual battle that we're called to, to do the Christian life, to build the local church. And so like any battle, we pick up wounds. We get hurt from, uh, from time to time. And I would imagine that for some of you here this morning, it was, it's like a great thing in the diary to come along to, probably. For others of you, maybe there are mixed emotions, I don't know. Perhaps it just kind of also presses some buttons of some disappointments or some hurt, or some wounds that you took over the years. Maybe it just reminds you of tough times. We've had some years that have been lean, as well as years that have been plentiful. Had marriages that didn't make it. Prodigals that have gone astray. Prayers that have been fervently prayed, but don't seem to have been answered, at least the way that we were, or you were fervently praying for them. Decisions that hurt, leaders that let you down, relationships that got fractured, people that you were investing in that that moved on. That's That's the life of authentic Christianity and authentic building of church. Like you can turn up on a Sunday and consume a church service, that's one thing. But you want to follow Jesus' command to really build church. If you are just turning up on a Sunday, that's one thing. But if you are sleeves rolled up, both feet in, loving people, caring for people, weeping with people, praying for people, taking decisions and responsibility for them, pouring your life and your finances and your family out in the service of God, his people, and the community we're here to reach, that costs. <laughs> and sometimes it hurts. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us. Because Jesus told us it would be like that. He told us it would be hard, but it would be worth it. So I just want to acknowledge that. I want to thank those of you who have experienced just some of what I've described, who rolled your sleeves up at the beginning, in the middle, and throughout. Thank you to the elders that shepherded me. 
And I guess I was just, uh, in the context of praying for, the, praying for this morning and also chatting to Andrew, who shared before, I think we were both feeling that this morning was, as, uh, there was a little part, I won't go on much longer on this, but there was a little part of this morning where maybe God wanted to do, to do some work, some work of healing. And he can do that just as I'm talking now. The Holy Spirit can just rest on the, the right person right now and just bring the healing that's needed. He can help us to leave things behind that maybe have just been entangling. He can help us to forgive. We haven't always got it right at King's Church. I know I haven't. And so I just wonder whether even in these moments and as we worship afterwards and respond to God, as we have lunch, as we talk, just convinced that the Holy Spirit would love just to minister to some of us, maybe to reconcile some relationships, maybe to cause some forgiveness to take place, maybe to ensure that the enemy does not get any foothold in the life of this church, in the life of the churches you belong to, in the life of any of us as believers. It's a battle, folks, that we're called to. So it's not odd that there are wounds and scars. What we're also called to is to forgive, is to count it a blessing in any way to suffer for the name of Jesus. So I'm excited at what God is going to do in these moments. Be open to that, will you? Back into the timeline. In, uh, in 2015, there was, 2013, sorry, there was not a church in Uskadar in Istanbul. In fact, there were very few churches uh, in Istanbul. But John and Sophie Ford and a team of theirs uh, who are here, some of which were from our church, Sam and Liz Jones on the right and Emma Feltham, as was uh, on the left-hand side, uh, they did the same thing. Abrahams and Sarahs heard the voice of God, responded to the voice of God, didn't know how it was going to work out, but went, believing they'd received a blessing of God in order to be a blessing to people who don't yet know God. And John and Sophie, uh, in particular, committed to a five-year project in which they would learn the language, in which they would settle their family, in which they would start a church, in which they would make disciples in Jesus' name. And by the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, they've done that. There's a, one of their little church gatherings, wonderful church gatherings. And they've seen people Real, genuine Turkish people, people like Honor and Erdem and Fuat and Lima, people who, for whom salvation did not exist. And the grace of God has called it into existence. And baptism has followed. And believe you me, counting the cost has followed. Families have been cut off, jobs have been lost, but they've counted it worth it. Such is the surpassing joy of following Jesus and building his church. And uh, they're in a tough season right now. So if you're brand new, you might not know, but the, many of you will know that they are uh, returning home this summer, returning to, well, returning to Kingston, maybe I should say, uh, and to King's Church, and we're really excited to have them back, and they're doing that really to prioritize their family. It's a tough decision. It's not what they hoped or dreamt or prayed for, but we and other leaders that support into their life are united that it's the right thing to do, to bless and support their family. But it's a tough season so we're praying. We're praying for transition for the church, for the right leaders to come in. Paul planted. There's an Apollos that's going to come and water, take them into the next best season. And we're praying for transition for their family, not, not least in schools for their children.
It's going to be exciting as to what God's going to do in their church. It's exciting what God's going to do in their family. And it's exciting what God's going to do in this church as we welcome them in. And what I want to do, haven't done this before, is just make a short little video. And what I just thought would really bless and encourage them is if we represented something of the well done of God that I'm convinced he is singing over them. God loves faithfulness. God loves obedience. He absolutely loves fruit. But more than that, he loves faithfulness and obedience. And they've delivered all three. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just record, uh, he hopes. I'm going to record a short little video. I'm just going to speak into it. Then I'm going to flip the camera around. And I would love you guys to stand up and just belt out the best standing ovation, the best well done of God that you can reflect uh, to them. So when I give you the nod, I'm going to change the camera. Here we go. Oopsie, hold on. There, some of you are too keen. Hold it. Hold it. This is me, first of all, I'm afraid. John, Sophie, Ben, Tom, Grace, Sam, good to see you. This is King's Church on Sunday, 20th anniversary. Uh, There's a whole bunch of friends in front of me, and we would just love to reflect something of the well done of God to you. Like We think there's a huge well done. You are heroes to us. You've inspired us. Uh, But even more than that, we're convinced that God is so pleased and delighted with your faithfulness, your obedience, and he's going to look after you and this church. And in front of me, we're going to reflect that to you right now. done. That was good. That's going to bless them, I'm convinced. And rightly so. So, how do we look ahead? How do we look ahead to the next 25 years? Excuse me. Do we need to look ahead with perfect faith? Is building King's Church the next 25 years to do with our perfect faith? You can think that a bit when you first read this passage, because Paul says that Abraham never wavered, and there was no distrust at all in his confidence in, in, in God. Now, Paul knows what we know, that Abraham did waver. He did have his moments. He even laughed at the promises of God on occasion. And uh, I was greatly helped in reading a commentary on this passage by our very own Simon Virgo, who'd written in the, in the margin of this commentary in Romans 4, as I was grappling with, what's Abraham's faith about? He'd written, Abraham's faith is not perfect faith, but persevering faith. It's not perfect faith, it's persevering faith. In other words, Abraham did persevere. He came back again and again and again to the perfect promises of God. It's good news. We, I, God, is not relying upon the extent of our faith. It's not about the perfection of our faith, it's about our faith in the perfect one, right? To pressure us off if there was any. We can build the next 25 years knowing that our faith, if it ups and downs and wavers and moves and all the rest of it, it's convinced, it's put upon the perfection of God in Jesus Christ and the perfection of his promises. That's why Paul takes the church back to Abraham and says, look, look at what God did. He made a promise to a couple that were almost 100 years old that hadn't had any kids. And his promise came true. They had a son who had a son who had 12, who had a nation, who started in some ways to signpost in different ways to, to laws and prophets and kings and exoduses and so on. And then one day, in a moment, the divine Jesus became the human Jesus and the hope of the world was called into existence. 
And what Paul wants to say is, it's not about your level of faith or how well you do with the law. It's simply about faith in his grace and in all that he has done. So we look ahead to a God who has delivered on his promises, who said he will build his church, has built his, built his church, and will build his church. That not even the biggest schemes of the enemy, and we've had a few over the years, none of them will derail his plans and promises. That's why we can be confident. Let me just give you, those of you who are part of King's Church now and want to do some of the, some of the building, those of you who are doing much of the building, let me just give you uh, five things to look ahead to uh, as I believe God wants to put faith into us for the future. Number one is that we've grown by about 10% this year, which is encouraging. We haven't seen that for a long time. We're not trying to grow the church. We're trying to concentrate on a healthy church. But as you concentrate on health, God starts to bring some good things, and that's been encouraging. There are, hun- there are some great churches in Kingston. There weren't actually many before this church came. One of the things that God did through this church seemed to be kickstarting a whole load of things. Kingsgate and Vineyard and, and St. Paul's and St. John's, all kinds of things. But of all the great churches there are, we're not reaching hardly a fraction. I reckon, what, 3,000 of 180,000 in the borough? There's plenty of people that desperately need to hear the love of Christ that is for them. And in his wisdom and his grace, God has decided to use the church as the means by which this borough gets to hear about the extent to which he loves them and the urgency of the gospel. Second thing to look ahead to, and I want to refer back to what Belinda so helpfully put in the video, was that when the church first started, a stake was put in the ground in North Kingston, around some horse manure by the sound of it. And then it started to set, it started a sense that actually it wasn't North Kingston was not enough, that God was, if you like, broadening the tent around to the borough of Kingston. There, were, there was a later prophetic words, I'm told about having tent peg stakes in the corner of the borough. I've been revisiting some of those afresh recently and really sensing that's what God wants to do more and more is to put tent peg stakes into the corners and even beyond the corners of the borough to create an overarching tent that we can reach more and more people. It's exciting that we've got a whole bunch of people now gathering in, in Molsey more and more. We've got people in, in New Malden, got people in Chessington, got people in, we're about to move house to Tolworth, got people in uh, Surbiton, I haven't mentioned you, but Isha and others. We're a little church, of course we are. But God has given us an increasingly broad tent around this corner of southwest London and, uh, and Surrey. And I just want to say to you, King's Church, be open to what God would do with that. Don't get comfortable. Be open to the God who calls things into existence that do not otherwise exist. And what might he, what might he do with these pockets of believers out and about in the corners of the tent? Thirdly, we want to go for a building again. Again, we stand upon the shoulders of some mighty, mighty people. The elders back in 2008 led the church wonderfully in giving radically, generously, specifically, regularly into the building fund. We've got a, a war chest of some 850,000 pounds ready to be invested into building to put a big stake in the heart of Kingston to reach Kingston and beyond. We want to go again for that. Thank you so much to those of you who gave to that fund. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Just off the chart giving in some ways. Some of you are new to the church think, oh, giving, is, can I manage maybe ooh, a few percent a month? And we have good conversations about that because it's not about the percentage, it's about the heart. What I'm trying to say to you is you're standing upon the shoulders of people who have used that, that kind of shall I give a bit a month thing as like a little, a little slip road onto a motorway of radical, generous, costly, sacrificial giving. I'd encourage you to join in with that. Join in on that motorway as we go in giving again in time for the building. Fourthly, we've spent time investing in and building a a growing uh, eldership team. 
And you want to go again and build and multiply more leaders. You want a whole team of male and female leaders that can wrap around and support, and in some cases go further than the elders ever would. So we're going to spend time now investing in that, making the big ask of some people to commit time to being trained and to leading. There are already great leaders in the life of this church, absolutely. We want to multiply leaders, and we're going to be making some uh, calls around that in the coming weeks and months. So there's growth to look forward to. There's a, a building to purchase. There are leaders to multiply. There's a tent to expand and an openness to the voice of God. And fifthly, having invested in Uskadar Life Church a lot, we want to, we want to maintain our partnership with them. We really do want to work out how we can maintain our partnership with them. What a privilege to even be able to tell a fraction of the stories of the Honours and the Airdems and the Fawats. What a privilege to have any partnership at all with the gospel going into the heart of Istanbul and transforming and reversing lives and taking these wonderful Muslim Turks into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So we want to maintain that partnership because it's a privilege, let alone what we can give. And, King's Church, listen up. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we went again? It was such a joy to send John, Sophie, and the team. It was an axe experience. If you're around, you know what I mean. The axe experience of you weep in tears of sadness and in tears of joy. It's the same thing. Could you send your best people, or some of your best people, to go and take the blessing of God to those that haven't heard it? I would love us to go again. Doesn't make sense now. Small church. But I know some of you burn with this and bubble with this. Wouldn't it be great in the years to come to have the Acts experience of gathering around a bunch of people, commissioning them, supporting them with prayer and finance and training and say, go, Abraham, Sarah's. You don't know it all, but you know you're stepping into a story in which you've been blessed not to keep it to yourself, but to take it to wherever God would have it take it to. And for some of you, that is round the corner here on Castle Street. For others of you, who knows what end of the earth it might be. And what part are you going to play, current King's Churches? Many of you play amazing parts. Like this church is a privilege to lead. It really is. So many uh, generous, faithful, kind, encouraging people. Let me cry up here most Sunday. Don't seem to mind too much. It's a privilege to lead and serve alongside you. I boast about how many people just take responsibility, serve, lead, give. But, well not but, and we serve this enormous God who who has an enormous vision to reach the ends of the earth. Partly through this little church. So, we need people that are going to pray. We do pray. We need to pray more. Becca reminded me the other day of the need for intercessory prayers. People who've got a gift and a willingness to get on their knees, close the door, and hammer away in prayer. Prayer is a gift and it's also a weapon. Now, part of being an intercessory prayer is it happens in a secret place, and we don't know about it. Would you tell us as elders, if you want to be, if you want to be praying with a sense of, I don't know, commissioning and intent, so that we can pray for you, and so that we can give you things to pray for? We stand upon a foundation of prayer. That's why we have prayer weeks now, three, four times a year. That's why we're in the middle of a season now, 40 days of prayer, petitioning God for the things that he wishes to do, crying out to him with this gift of prayer whereby we enjoy him and learn what he's excited about and then wield it as a weapon to draw into the reality the things that he wants to do. So who's going to pray? Who's going to pray the next believers across the line? Who's going to pray for the schemes of the enemy to be dispatched and destroyed? Who's going to pray for the gift of generosity to flow again? Who's going to pray for a multiplication of male and female leaders to shape and lead and move throughout the life of the church and go further and better than the elders can go? Who's going to give? 
Who's going to count it a privilege to give generously and radically and sacrificially? Who's going to be up for that experience of looking at the bank account thinking, God, you told me to give. I'm not sure where the money's coming from for me to live, but I know you're going to come up trumps. I'm not saying that is, there's a religiosity in, hear me, I'm saying part of the call to generous giving means that at times it's like, God, you've got to come up trumps. Otherwise, Come on, King, like, Kingston is so comfortable. I know there's poverty. I lived in the Cambridge estate. I know there's need. I know there's brokenness. But overarching that, there is comfort and busyness. And one of the great ways to kick those enemies of building local church into the long grass is to pray a lot and to give sacrificially and spectacularly into the kingdom. Third, who's going to serve? What a church this is for serving. People like, again, here this morning. Sleeves rolled up, serving, amazing serving. But there are more ways to surf. Who's going to be willing to be trained? Who's going to stop excluding themselves from leading and be trained to lead? Who's going to do the New Ground Academy? Who's going to put their hand up to say, I won't just uh, be part of a thing. I'll come and lead and take something forward in the life of the church. I'll be trained. I'll create my diary and set it around it accordingly. Praying, giving, serving, leading. Thank you, King's Church, for praying and serving and giving and leading. Thank you to those of you who've been part of King's Church for praying and serving and giving and leading. Final thing, I wonder whether Ellen and the band could just join us just to be able to sing and respond together. Um, we've got a few moments to do that. The kids are fine. <laughs> I was promised that before. Uh, mine's in there, so they're probably not fine, but the rest of them are, are fine. There's lunch that's for later on, but I would love us to respond in worship to hear what God's saying. Some of you come with a, a prophetic gifting. We want to hear what God is saying to us in these next 10, 15 minutes. We want to worship. I love what Abraham, uh, sorry, what Paul says about Abraham. He grew strong in his faith as. He grew strong in his faith as he did more stuff. He grew strong in his faith as he read the Bible more. Absolutely. But Paul says he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. That's what we're going to do now. Let's give glory to God. You think you haven't got enough faith for a big vision for a, a church that affects the nations? That's all right. We worship, we give glory to God, and the Bible promises that faith will rise, that God will speak to us. And God's going to speak in all kinds of ways. He's going to minister to those of us that need comfort and encouragement and courage to forgive. He's going to minister to those of us that need faith to go again in whatever context we're in. I hope he's going to minister to you through your churches and you're going to take back a blessing to wherever you are building the kingdom right now. And he's going to minister to us as a church as we, the current family, stand with beloved old brothers and sisters and mums and dads and give glory to God. So can we stand? I'd love to pray. Ellen and the band are going to lead us. Let's do that. Let's give glory to God. And uh, as many of you as you feel stirred by God, come to the front, grab Jason, and let's also hear what God is saying to us so we can continue to be shaped by the Bible, by prophecy, by all that God would do through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you again in these moments. Come right now again in power. Any words that are just of mine, may they just be forgotten and, dis and left behind. We want to know what's of you. We receive what's of you. Help us to respond to what's of you. Cause us in these moments now to give glory to you, the God who calls into existence things that do not exist. Salvation, churches, 
And we look to you, God, for this church and for every church that's represented here. We look to you for these next days, weeks, years, for however many years you give us. We look to you. We stand upon you, the God who fulfills his promises, who does do what he said he would do, who does build his church. Speak to each one of us and speak to our church. Build our faith as we give glory to you. Amen.